Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in studio, joined as always by Murray Kinsel of the 42. How are you, boss? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And we're also joined by Andy Dunn. Andy, how are you? Very well, thank you, Gavin. You got a bit of a land there when we were talking about the iTunes charts and where we tend to feature up near the top, Champions League spaces at least. <laughs> are we going to have a quieter, more reserved? Yeah, well, I kind of wish I didn't know that, yeah. I thought nobody listened to us. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I'll have to be more polished and reserved, I think. Do I? We no. like you the no. way we are. Okay. We can put, a, we can put one I of those exclusive drag. content things on the tags <laughs> on the podcast on iTunes. It'll be okay. People sure know can, what to expect. I'm sure you can drag a rant out of me somewhere. No, I don't think we'll have to look too far. Um, let's talk. Uh, we've got an interview coming up with Jack Carty. We've got obviously uh, two or three of the Irish provinces involved in Pro 14 quarterfinals that we're going to look into a little bit later on. We're actually going to start, though, with an email that we received from a listener of the podcast. We, we have at least one, Andy, anyway, and his name <laughs> is Joe O'Darty. And he wrote us a, quite a detailed email suggesting, or at least asking, uh, should there be some kind of interprovincial championship introduced to the Pro 14 to avoid the dead robbers that we saw uh, last weekend between the uh, provinces and you know could you have like a, a table maybe just an actual trophy at the end of it um and we actually we, we put it out there on social media as well to get your own thoughts on it uh listeners at home and we'll read out some of those but i might start with yourself murray um because i know you've mentioned it in the past in some written pieces so it doesn't sound to me on the face of it like the worst idea in the world yeah i really like this idea as you said there i've mentioned a couple of times over the last couple of years um whether it be a, a, a table at the end of the season or something like the Ranfurly Shield in New Zealand, which I really like. It's a, a kind of historical competition. I think 1904 it started. They call it the Log of Wood. It's a big shield, obviously, uh, that, you, that you get if you win. And basically, they do it on a challenge system. So the holders defend their Ranfurly Shield in their home games in the Mitre 10 Cup and a couple of challenges in pre-season games as well against the other New Zealand provincial unions. And listen, it's not the biggest honour in the game anymore and professionalism has certainly uh, made its kind of stature dwindle but it is a nice little history bit of New Zealand rugby and certainly the players take a great bit of pride in defending it I think Auckland have 16 wins and they've defended it geez nearly 150 times I think and it just adds that little bit extra meaning into other fixtures that could potentially be a little bit meaningless otherwise so it's something that I've always um, looked at and, and enjoyed I did tally up this season's table from the interprovincial oh, interesting. games. What do you reckon? Who's who's the champ? Well, we can crown the champions right here because they've played each other in the in the Pro 14 regular season. And Ulster is that? No, no Ulster no. actually were fourth. Oh, good guess. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't have guessed worse. I got you. Yeah, okay. Uh, Ulster were fourth, nine points. Connacht in third, eleven points. Second was Leinster on nineteen points. Munster were first on nineteen points, but they had points difference advantage plus seventy one over plus fifty two. So Munster will we'll crown them the champs. That's Best incredible. province in Ireland, undisputed. <laughs> and the <laughs> new. Scientific. Um, but it was interesting. I actually thought it was going to be Leinster, to be honest, when I was tallying it up. Um, but even something like that would add, I think, just an extra little layer. Even if yeah. it's not as big a deal as Champions Cup or even Pro 14. I think it would be fun for fans and for players alike. Yeah, it's a little bit different, Andy, than the usual token trophies I think we see like the Lansdowne Cup and things like that where captains awkwardly have to lift something at the yeah. end of a test game <laughs> it, when it's over the course of a season and you're talking about actual local rivals obviously the rivalry is there anyway and it can be quite heated without a trophy but why not add something to the mix I suppose yeah I think it's crying out for it I mean we also still have 
four, um, now we call them club sides, we do have four provincial club sides with the vast majority of their squads being from the province, which is, there's obviously that parochial element to it. Um, I'd say some opportunistic sponsor should get in behind it as well and maybe try and get it, you know, get the games on terrestrial TV or anything like that to just raise the profile of the tournament as well because it can be, like, they were dead rubbers last week and they're not particularly engaging. But if you if you have the Interpro title, you have local pride at stake, you've got something to... I mean, the... the, the um, I was part of a Leinster team that won it under Matt Williams when it was still alive back, I think, and it was a one oh two. And like we we loved the fact that we won the European Cup was still obviously was it was uh we'd been knocked out at that stage. Munster were still going strong, but Connacht and Ulster were out and we went down to Galway and beat Connacht in Connacht to win it. And like I think I still have a big squad photo and everyone's delighted from it and it's it's something that we all certainly enjoyed. It's not probably pride of place on the trophy cabinet, but it's something that definitely captivated us prior to, you know, that game, that week, that build-up was like you have a chance to win an Interpro title. So I think it can still engage players. But I do think there's opportunities there to, to bump it up, to make it a bit more commercial, to, you know, family passes for tickets for games, all that type of stuff. Just just an opportunity probably gone a begging a bit, which I'm surprised by in modern commercial yeah. professional sport, you know. That's a great point because, like, that marketing side of rugby is massive and it's yeah. definitely one of the areas that the sport, which is still young professionally, is, is yeah. going through at the moment. There were, I think there were 20,000 people in Tone Park for that Connacht game, which is a really decent crowd, really yeah. encouraging. But if you had marketed as Munster are going for the Interprovincial Championship yeah. here and may lift a trophy tonight, you maybe get another three, four thousand, yeah. five thousand through the door. A bit more excitement, as you say, at the end of that, that game. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't see the drawback. And we're not trying to disparage, like there's no doubt all those players went out with a ferocious rivalry in mind. And certainly the Ulster-Leinster game was really entertaining in the end, and as was Munster and Connacht. But it just would add that extra little bit of meaning to all those fixtures across the board. You think of earlier on the season... Munster absolutely hammering Ulster down to home park. Potentially would have changed the picture slightly there in terms of selection. So I can't really see the, the negatives. Okay, there are no negatives on paper. There are probably difficulties. Like, for example, you mentioned that Munster-Ulster game. Part of that was probably due to the team that Ulster fielded. On that day, in fairness, they were just so uh, affected yeah. by injuries. It wasn't necessarily like a player welfare thing or anything. But we also see interprovincial games now where one province will line out with basically a second string because that's the program that they're operating under um i might ask you about that first like is is it feasible to introduce this hypothetical competition allowing for teams to rest players or would that dynamic change like i mean if you're if you've yeah. a trophy on the line are you going to even you're not going to rest say johnny sexton and Tommy park are you no no i don't think i don't think so and that's not really what i was trying to suggest and i don't think it would change the picture at all no. okay. i don't think it would be instantly teams like desperately going for this trophy but i think even on the outside and framing it for fans it would make it a more attractive proposition which but is it, even in, as well over in england in the football i mean that it's there's a lot more money involved in that and this it was when i was seven years old it was the milk cup then it was the little woods cup and then it was something else carling cup now it's the carabao cup and no one really gives a toss and they try out their second third team you guarantee it like 
you know, Liverpool lost final a couple of years ago to City under Klopp. Like he would, if you offered him that trophy right now, he'd take it. You know what I mean? And any coaches to say they won a bit of silverware with a team, it's not going to change the dynamic if it's two weeks before or one week before a European game and the head coach wants to rest guys, give young guys a run and get experience. But if you have a chance to get to a final game and win a trophy and be crowned the best team within your country in that competition, you definitely take it. But like, you, you know, you can gloss over, oh, look, we didn't win the intervals, doesn't matter. Mm. But ask someone who needs a trophy or needs a runner for him, would they take it? And they'd bite your hand off. Yeah, and if that sponsor was paying a price fee of even, let's say, 300k, well, there's most of a player's, one player, good player's salary. Yeah. Which may be an, an added incentive as well. There's all sorts of little strands to it, but we are fully behind it, I think. I, I think it'll happen based on this chart topping podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, if I could ask you one more thing, and this is more of an industry question, and, and there may not even be an answer to it because it is hypothetical, but the issue of sponsors, because obviously the Pro 14 already has a title sponsor, would you see that being an issue? The Interpro is being sponsored like a competition within a competition that already has a sponsor, if you know what I mean? Potentially. I personally don't have the ex- expertise in that area to know for sure, but yeah, that could be a potential issue. Maybe check with the Pro 14 before we get the 42 to sponsor this new trophy. But, um, <laughs> or before we air this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, yeah there might be little issues like that. Um, but look, we'll iron it out. Those things out. We'll sort it out. Yeah. We'll sort it out. Um, obviously, we do have a, an interprovincial clash coming up the weekend and it's a game that when we've mentioned it over the last couple of weeks we've been very excited by it but um Ulster and Connacht I th- did you pick Connacht to win that game a couple of weeks ago did I ask you Murray yeah Sorry. yeah I still have a feeling that it's going to edge that way as well right. um, I think we're going to see a really exciting interprovincial game both these teams have looked to keep the ball alive and play with tempo all season Ulster's identity shift has been really interesting to watch and it has been a process that has had hiccups at times. You see now, even in the Pro 14, they pass the ball more often than anyone. I think they pass 195 times on average per game. Leinster are next on 175 per game, who tend to have even more possession than Ulster. Um, so they've obviously built that into the game. You see it with tip-ons, short pass inside. All the forwards now are comfortable. Uh, Dan Soper, the skills coach, has done a really good job there. Um, and they're also looking to get width on the ball at, at all times. Billy Burns is a passing out half primarily doesn't quite challenge the line probably enough actually but he'll put the ball into his outside back's hands and, and they'll test you out there Connacht again can be similar I do think the tactical strength of Connacht in terms of Carty's kicking game has been a little bit underrated almost we, we they do look they can open up and play fantastic rugby and that's a massive part of their their identity but they're also clever in in picking out the right times to do that They've put a lot of focus on their set piece as well. The mall has been a big one. And we saw the scrum improvement down in Thome Park last weekend. So that's a, a big area for them as well. I actually think they have the edge in that decision-making, controlling element of the game. And, and that's one of the reasons I may be leaning slightly towards them, um, particularly after Jacob Stockdale looks like he's going to miss out through injury. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a tight and brilliant-to-watch contest. But I'm kind of veering towards Connacht. Yeah, we got a, a message on Twitter actually during the week from a guy giving out uh, about the three of us disparaging the Pro 14 fixtures last weekend, which I thought was harsh considering they were they were meaningless. Like, you know, there's no point in, in pretending otherwise. This one, though, obviously a huge amount on the line for both teams, Andy. 
uh, are you excited for this one? Yeah, I think, um, again, to, to echo what Murray says, the style with which they've both played this year, really exciting to watch. Um, I think Dan McFarlane's contribution in his first year as head coach has been pretty immense. Um, hopefully that gets him on side with me. I had, uh, he was my, he was the forwards coach in Connacht in my last year. Oh yeah. As a Connacht player and I wasn't getting picked and he asked me for, um, I had a mate who worked for MCD Records, Damo, and he said, would you, would you ring Damo and see if you get me two tickets for ACDC? So I texted Damo, said, if Dan McFarlane contacts you looking for two ACD, ACDC tickets, don't give them to him. But I, <laughs> but I texted Dan. So Dan and Damo were beside each other. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, I think, yeah. how have you been sitting on this story yeah, for the entire year? Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I figured Dan's probably always hated me ever since, but uh, maybe I can win him over by saying I think he's done a brilliant job. Uh, <laughs> he has done a brilliant job in Ulster, and I think Dan Soper's um, contribution. I would have coached AIL club teams against uh, a couple of Ulster sides he was involved with. Yeah. Always played a brilliant style of rugby. Um, so his his contribution is not to be underestimated either. But I do think Dan's experience in Scotland under Townsend and exposure to that style of play, he's brought that back. He's been very brave to bring that back, um, uh, you know, as your first season as a coach. But he did take over at a, at a probably a the best possible time to take over Ulster. I don't think they could have got any lower or worse in in recent history. But he's he's. I think they've overachieved or they've they've gone beyond what was expected of, of them this year. And by right, they should. I think they should have beaten Leinster in the Aviva. I think that's probably one of the biggest regrets of their year. So um, <clears throat> to call the game, well, and then again, sorry, not to dismiss how good Connacht have been, but um, to call that game, I that's hard. I really. Yeah, but you don't need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the things I, I probably personally always kind of underestimate or, or overlook is the emotional side of things as well, rather than just looking as a, a tactical or player to player contest. And that certainly would seem to be on the Ulster side. Rory Best looks like he's going to be fit. Came through training earlier this week, uh, and playing his last game in the Kingspan will be a massive thing for them motivationally. Also, the fact that Connacht have beaten them twice this season, obviously that gives Connacht some confidence, but. As Andy Friend said this week, Ulster will be filthy about that. Losing mm. in the Kingspan, going down to Galway, losing again, finishing bottom of our interprovincial championship as well. Yeah, um, which they've th just learned of. But. Yeah, <laughs> but that is, um, that's a big factor in it. And I think you'll see that ferocity that they brought again against Leinster, something similar anyway. Mm. Um, because when they brought that against Leinster, it was, it was just absorbing to watch and it clearly allowed them to compete with what is one of the best teams in the world. Um, and physically, it looks like that they're able to marry that emotional intensity to um, actual fitness and ability to last in, in long passages of games. Um, and that was an area we thought that Leinster might edge. Well, certainly I did. That Leinster mm. would edge and, and just outlast them in those long passages. But they were superb in that area. And clearly, they've made great strides really quickly in that uh, and got to an international standard of that. So. There's loads there on the Ulster side as well, and, and they've got plenty of informed players as well. Um, even John Cooney, ex-Connacht, mm. he's been just superb again and, and will control things beautifully from, from nine. He's a, a really controlling um, kind of French-style scrum half who kicks really well and, and controls the tempo really well. So there's loads of elements there that would suggest to you also that, that Ulster are strong enough to do it. Yeah, Andy, it's an interesting dynamic when a team has 
nearly a hoodoo over you or a minor hoodoo the way mm-hmm. Connacht have uh, over Ulster at the moment and particularly this season but at a certain point I suppose the impetus is on the team that has been losing that sequence of games so much so that they can see where they need to improve whereas the team that constantly wins the game it's probably harder to adjust for another game against the same opposition does that does that play into it at all? <coughs> Poss- I don't, I don't know <laughs> I don't know well, like what I don't know Connacht have only one win up in Kingspan for in what 58 58 years yeah that's true they're hardly a hoodoo up mm. there but um but also, I suppose you you think about that you know if you've got a, a a recent run of form against an opposition side and you've lost, like what I always found a little mind numbing in the week of a of a big game would be to watch video footage of the opposition and the the coaching staff would be picking out maybe a few areas of potential weakness in the opposition, and it is um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you consider that most teams will, will also be self-reflective and the coaches will pick out the, those similar areas of weakness and try and, f- for example, a defensive flaw and they will, they'll fill it like with concrete for the following week. Whereas the, the opposition attacking side are going, look, they've left space, constantly left space outside the 13 channel, let's go for it. But they're obviously going to try and plug that. So I always found that a little redundant. And as a, as a playmaker, you were going into a game to attack a space, preempted. And the opposition defence were arguably going to be at their strongest there because they'd want to make the same mistake two weeks in a row. So I do find that that if you've had a run and, and of bad performances against the same side, um, you've got to go in with a kind of a clean slate mentally into the game uh, as opposed to looking at you know prior weaknesses or prior kind of consistent mistakes with a view to topping them up because they, t- they tend to disappear pretty quick. Yeah, you know? it's going to be interesting also in this game to see Connick's selection. They've... 46 players dead training on, on Monday and Tuesday, um, which is pretty remarkable at this stage Con- of the season. Yeah, not, not to have a few more injuries. Wow. Um, and there's, even at scrum half, Blade or, or Marmion is a, you could go either way with that, couldn't you? Quaylen Blade's been just superb with his sniping, with his quick tapping, with his energy. Marmion does bring those things as well. He's, mm-hmm. I think he's still a better defender, Marmion. Um, even though Blade is completely game and, and more than willing to get stuck in in that, I think his tackle completion is, is a bit lower than Marmion's. Um, and then you've got the experience of Marmion probably slightly in his favour. He's a very calm kind of head, whereas Blade is a bit more of a fiery presence, which can be a strength as well, depending mm. on how you want to play. And clearly Andy Friend wants to play with that bit of fire and that bit of tempo as well. So you've got that decision. Even in the back row, Paul Boyle is one of the best emerging talents in Ireland now. But Owen McKeown's been absolutely excellent since his return from injury at blindside. So they've got to make a call there. Kyle Godwin's going to probably miss out midfield. He's been excellent all season. And then Stephen Fitzgerald in the back three has more than put his hand up. So there's loads of options across the board for Friend. And that's probably one of the most positive things about this season that they've also managed to build just a little bit extra depth. Uh, and moving forward in this project, it, it's really positive. I think Ulster will feel they've done a little bit of something similar to maybe not that quite that same extent you could probably pick the 15 handily enough for this weekend given there are some injuries and damaging injuries probably at that Stockdale we know all about his class but Marty Moore missing out is a big blow the scrum was if you look back to that game in October in in Belfast they got absolutely destroyed at the scrum by Connacht Um, and it's really improved since then they've been really consistent and McFarland naturally enough I think um, that's his area he's massively into that Jay it is a miss to have Moore not there um, but Rory Best coming back does mitigate that slightly. Um, I do think the set piece will be huge 
mall and scrum is, is going to be a massive contest. Um, but yeah, though the the missing Marty Moore could be could be a key. Can I ask you, Andy, as a ten, who would you rather play alongside if you're given the option between Kieran Marmion and Quaylen Blade? Um, I, oh geez, I wonder what Jack Carthy secretly thinks because Blade is such a handful. But I don't think it's. I think both of them could improve their passing. In reality, it's their key job is to be you know, and I, all too often in Irish rugby, I think we haven't had excellent passing nines. Um, we've had guys who could do bits of the game better than others. Um, but if you were to take Aaron Smith as the gold standard, as a part, you know, he's an all-round nine, but his passing is incredible. Um, if Blade could improve that to a degree, I think he's he's arguably a real threat to take Marmion's place. I think Marmion's slightly ahead of him. Just on a couple of things, probably Heat Marmion certainly a threat. He's probably he's he's marshaled more than he was two to three seasons ago, where he was getting a number of line breaks. Marmion, I think the people are aware, and I'd say that'll start to happen for Blade pretty quickly too. So your your conundrum at ten, Carty is: Do you want the ball in your hands a split second quicker all the time? Or do you want a nine who takes pressure off you by taking on more responsibility? Uh, it's a catch twenty two. So I'm gonna sit on the fence. <laughs> uh, my, my my personal preference would always have been to get the ball in my hand a split second quicker, as opposed to a nine who'll take pressure off you by doing taking on the ball and, and um attracting the back row defence or the fringe defence or being physical, all those things, I'd still rather get the ball in my hand a split second quicker. Mm. Just give me the ball. Yeah. Give me the, the passing ball. thing is so interesting. Like it's it's, it's so overlooked in Irish yeah, rugby. It's overlooked in an, rugby, I think. And I'm not trying to slam guys. I yeah. know how hard it is under pressure to make accurate passes when you're moving at pace. There's defenders all over the place. It's easy for us to sit up in the stands with that nice view. But I think it probably is the biggest deficiency in the game in terms of skills. The amount of opportunities or potential opportunities that don't come about because of a slightly misplaced pass is, is quite incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's unbelievable the difference it makes in in that kind of moment when defence is now so aggressive off the line. That split second in order to receive the ball in basically around your sponsor sign on your jersey without having to reach, check your stride, turn, twist. Um, it, I suppose it facilitates your field of vision better just not to have to move. And those those little tiny seconds matter hugely. So, it, yeah, it's. I think it's overlooked. I think it's poorly coached in Ireland as well. Um, and I think traditionally, why you know why did the French produce so many good scrum halves? It's obviously um, something that comes from a cycle that you know one guy teaches another guy how, how to do it well, who teaches three or four. We we haven't had. We've probably had two great scrum halves in forty years. You know, in mm. Irish rugby. Yeah. So even beyond. Yeah. Even beyond, let's not just pick on the scrum half. Let's pick on everyone. <laughs> even beyond yeah, we, that, we've, even had, we've had amazing back rows. Yeah. Like we have a proliferation of amazing back rows, but we've probably had two world class nines in forty years. Are you talking about Stringer? Well, and Murray, Murray, Murray and, and Stringer, and was Stringer don't Michael know, was Bradley? He, he wasn't world class. There's nowhere near world class. Michael was Bradley Stringer is. world class? Well, he was. He had ninety eight caps. His passing was fantastic so in terms of his job he probably wasn't world class he couldn't line break his his defensive cover tackles the famous top tackles 
a lot of them were hugely influential in games. He scored a winning try in, the, in a Heineken Cup final. And he was right up there. Mm. I mean, he's not not the most. He, he his injury profile was brilliant. You know, all of those things add up to being um, right at the top of his game. Maybe not world class, but certainly. Now, like Michael Bradley wasn't in the, in the same boat in my mind. Michael Bradley had a good instinctive abilities and talent, but it wasn't the best passer. And, you know, around the time I was growing up, there was guys like Fergus O'Hearn, Rob Saunders, Michael Bradley fighting for for an international nine spot. It wasn't the highest quality when you looked around at other countries, you know. So I do think it's an area we could work on in the next few years at an academy level or get some specialist coaching in, you know. Yeah, that counts as a rant, does it? I think close, yeah, enough. close enough. Yeah. Close enough. Just well, you look at Aaron Smith, there's a guy on called Rugby Bricks on Instagram who's a Kiwi, and the coaching drills he does with Aaron Smith, you could watch them all day. And Aaron's watching this morning. They're unbelievable. Like, and I, I now I'm finished 10 years ago. I used to watch the nines, and they'd come out and they'd put five balls in a row. They'd trot around to one, head down, flick a pass away, trot around to the next. Like, when in a rugby match did they ever pass five balls in a row that are perfectly positioned on the floor? And just flick it away, you know, mm. to a target moving or non-moving. The, the variables your man introduces for Aaron Smith and how he catches it and it's bouncing and twisting and turning. He's got to come in and forage for it. He's got a timer on it. He's looking at his wrist, his fingers, his shoulder positioning. Like he's breaking it down. There's a reason Aaron Smith is the best passer in the world because of the quality with which he practices. I don't know if we're doing that. Maybe we are. Maybe I've, I just don't know the guy who's doing it. A couple of decent scrum halves coming up, to be fair, when you look at like the likes of Craig Casey, who made his debut last weekend. An excellent passer as well, yeah. He is an excellent passer. Um, and we've, I've no doubt they're all working quite hard at it, but yeah. I'm sure they are. It's definitely something that we can improve in Irish rugby across the board, really. I think all players, really. But Dave Shannon's been very good for Ulster this year as well. Cooney has a lot of ability and style. So I just think as a rant, to finish the rant, we definitely have been uh, under underachieving in the area of scrum half for quite a long period relative to say our tens or our back rows or our centres or our front rows or second rows or back three. Interesting. We will not hear Jack Carthy's thoughts on who he would rather play with uh, at half back but we did catch up with him earlier in the week. Ryan Bailey sat down with him and began by asking him about his recent nomination for the Irish Player of the Year award. It was just something um, a little kind of target I had set out for myself so um, didn't manage to win either of the Connacht ones, so it'd be nice to, to win one of the players' ones. Um, but yeah, it probably has surpassed um, surpassed it in terms of myself. But I think um, as a whole, if we can if we we can win this weekend and then go on to beat Glasgow and then probably be Munster or Leinster, you'd expect um, it'd be nice to be, play them in the final again or Munster. So be not, yeah, it's going to be a massive couple of weeks and. Um, hopefully we can keep going the way we've been going. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on Ulster maybe in a bit, but sticking on your own personal form, you know, you mentioned at the start of the season that there was slight improvements that you wanted to make, and one of those was, was place kicking and, and even tackling stats as well. Judging from the outside and just looking at your performances, you've really kicked on in, in those two aspects. Are they kind of the most pleasing things that you've, you've worked on and improved on? Um, yeah, I suppose you kind of spoke about the defensive one there. That was another one I had and probably hasn't been touched on as much. Um, unfortunately, if you're playing in out ha- at out half and you're not making tackles, you're unfortunately you're going to get more traffic into your channel. So, um, if you if you are able to put in uh, put yourself in a position where you're making dominant hits or even just stopping fellas, teams a team attack coach will might look to play in a channel wider or look to play to width a bit more. So, 
Um, it hasn't been perfect all the time, but it definitely, definitely has improved. So I'm really, really pleased with that. Um, and it was all of us. It was just about training, like kind of good habits during the week. So instead of um, where like when you're not doing contact sessions, um, to actually just get your body in front and kind of we've done that with Connacht. We've done a thing where we we may not have contact sessions, but it's always eighty percent in terms of body in front and grab and bring them to the ground, which is probably benefited not only me but everyone amongst the squad and then you yeah, obviously touched on kicking them um, that's improved um, from where it was the last couple of years and hopefully that can keep going and I can finish um, 80-82% yeah obviously you're an, at air half most of your performances will be judged by kicking stats and the amount of points you can score off the tee and stuff like that but you've really added so many different aspects to your game and, and that's what's kind of stood out for most people this year I think you're, you're top of the try assists and all that kind of stuff so there's so many different strands to your game that have come together in particular this season or over the last couple of seasons um, yeah I suppose I don't know the, didn't realise the try assist one um, we kind of spoke earlier it's probably a skewed um, stat in terms of the, because of the amount of game time that I've, I've had but um, yeah good one to have um, I suppose over the years, I probably have had various different things. Whether one year I was had good um, kind of tactical kicks, or another year was maybe good defensively. So it was about bringing um, all the kind of good things that I have in my game and try to bring them together, and then kind of polish off the rough edges in terms of um, as you spoke about goal kicking and then just game management. Um, and that's probably just comes from a bit of clarity from um, what we're trying to do as a team and that has enabled us as a team to do much better. Yeah, a lot of players have obviously spoken about Andy's influence in his first season. It's been a great season for the club, but he speaks a lot about you know using the the weaponry in, in each player's armory and not coming in and try to do something that players don't have and focus on what they need to have in their armory, but actually focusing on the stuff that you do well and you make it world class. Is that kind of what you've seen from him and, and what has allowed you to kind of go out and express yourself and play to your own game? Uh, yeah, Friendy's been a, like he's an ultra positive person and a really, really good man and I think what what he bring, you enjoy his company off the pitch and then obviously when things aren't going the way they should be or if players aren't, I suppose, performing to where they should be, he's able to have a strong word with players as well. So the respect that all the players and um, have for the coach, not only for any, but the whole coach and staff um, ha- has been great. I think, um, yeah, as you said, he talked about weapons. Um, it's quite easy to always focus on weaknesses or things that you have to work on. But um, Andy said that if every player brings their work on, every all the 23 bring their work on to a pitch at, at 80 minutes and deliver on them, um, would be a diff- difficult team to, to beat. And I think if we do that this weekend, as we've been doing, the majority of the time throughout the season then we'll be in a good place on Saturday Yeah I noticed during one of the down weeks recently you were back in, in Dubai and obviously everyone knows about the, <laughs> the difficulties that you had to overcome yep. does that all that you went through I know you lost a huge amount of weight and you obviously had to come back and build up your fitness and your strength and all that kind of stuff does all that has happened before make what you've achieved this season and where you've come to now all the more sweeter so to speak um, Yeah I would have maybe you can kind of look at it and say what what ifs and buts, but um, I've kind of looked at it from a point that it maybe if that hadn't happened, um, if I hadn't like ruptured my spleen and lost it, that maybe I wouldn't be in the position I would have been today. I wouldn't have the the drive that I would have had. Um, I definitely didn't have the drive that I had um, that I have today back then. Um, and I suppose at the time when that did happen, I thought that any chance of getting an international cap, let, let alone playing rugby again, was probably. Um, 
was probably gone and I think um, just this season um, my cousin passed away last year so I would have had um, a good conversation with him and he was very much of the viewpoint that I should have just just give it everything you have and don't leave any stone unturned and um, yeah it was just great that I was able to um, obviously put that set back behind me and take his words as inspiration and then go on to get captain kind of dedicated to him and his family yeah so it changed your, your mindset obviously an extremely difficult and, and scary period i suppose for yourself and your family during the time but to come through it then as you say and, and it kind of changed your perspective and drives you on uh yeah um i definitely think that that was some of it obviously um the getting a cap it was very much a thing that i was i, I did for myself but i think more so i did for um my cousin brian and his family um and the fact that i was able to do that and I think that was um, the week before so I got my cap um, coming up to the week um, of his first year anniversary so to do that um, it was just a nice thing I was kind of felt that it was something that if I was able to do it was something I was able to dedicate to him so um, I was able to do that and it was yeah it was great. Yeah we might briefly touch on Ulster before you finish but yeah, what about the, the Six Nations as a whole disappointing I suppose from an Irish point of view but for yourself it was kind of probably conflicting emotions because it was a huge high for you and to get into camp and get your first cap and play play three games off the bench and I think the external view is you you did particularly well how did you kind of judge your own performances and your experience of the Six Nations? Um, yeah so obviously coming off the bench the only thing you can really do is try to add some sort of impact. Um, obviously, I'd, I wouldn't have done many bench games um, for Connacht just in terms of only cover one position, so it was either you start, yeah. you don't. So the, the few appearances that I have off the bench, um, there have been times where maybe I didn't add or didn't give impact, so I was very much kind of looking at, when I was on the bench for the three games, looking at, at things I could have um, added, and the things probably I looked at was backfield coverage. Um, particularly in the France game, um, that they're just they're back to pendulum left space for a kick space, and I managed to get two nice kicks into the right hand corner. And um, yeah, and it was just about adding and adding impact when I came on. And I think that I definitely did it in um, two of the games. Maybe the Italy game um, was, you know, the, probably the hit, the excitement and emotion probably took over a bit. But uh, as from a personal standpoint, I was delighted yeah, to get captain, and obviously to give an impact when I came on. Yeah, it must give you huge confidence then when you, you go in, go back to Connacht and, and you've got a, a you know a really exciting run in for the end of the season and, and looking ahead maybe to Ulster that you've been able to bring that experience back and you're just playing with so much confidence and that's filtered through the, the dressing room it seems. Uh, I probably would say it might be like other way around the confidence in the changing room when I came back for like all the lads, obviously the Ospreys game was a massive game for us and then coming back from the disappointment of Wales from a team standpoint into the Connacht change room where you know we put a massive performance in against Ospreys the you know it, it was pretty I suppose coming back into the environment you know you'd think that there'd be a drop off in I suppose what is expected of you but the lads and JB especially made sure that the when we came back the Irish lads especially that there was no um, I suppose wrestling on our laurels because it can be quite an easy thing to do after getting a few caps fellas might be happy with what kind of they've had or um, might be disappointed in what's happened but it was very much kind of to park that um, you can learn from that and grow as a player by that by playing well for your province and I think all the provinces have, have probably done that all the players across all the provinces have done that since the Six Nations all the performances have been really really good and uh, obviously every team um, you've Munster you've, sorry you've Leinster in the final you had Munster in the semi-final the European and then you had 
all four of them in the Pro 14. So, um, yeah, it bodes well for Irish rugby. Yeah, it's a huge week for Connacht, isn't it? You've had a, a great first season under Andy Friend, but how much motivation now is there back in the playoffs to go back up to Kingsman Stadium where you had that historic win earlier in the season to, to extend the season into another week and, and keep going the way you've been going? Uh, yeah, massive luck Friend. He said to us, firstly, he like congratulated us um, this week. He said um, some team, other teams in the Pro 14 are probably maybe just back from a night out or have been have a meet up today kind of to say their goodbyes the fact that we've extended our season by another week is something that you know fellas moving on firstly gives them another week in the environment uh, and then it gives us another chance to kind of be around each other so um, we just we, yeah we just really really want to win this weekend and give a performance whereby we you know as long as we give a great performance I think that will be in a, in a good place and there's nothing better than that I suppose yeah and you go up there with no shortage of confidence obviously that win earlier in the season shows you that you can go up there and you've got that hoodoo off your back and you've beaten you know a huge amount of teams this year in, in tight games so you have that kind of big game now as well now yeah um, like if you look at the way Ulster have been playing um, I know I spoke to you beforehand about it I think it anyways um, just the performance first that they gave against Leinster and Aviva but like I think a lot of people forget the most impressive thing about that was the fact that they were able to to back it up the following week against Edinburgh in what I said was probably Edinburgh pack is probably the most probably physically dominant and like attritional pack in the Pro 14. The fact they were able to um, like overpower them in Edinburgh was something that was you know it's incredible for them. So we're well aware of the kind of threats that Ulster have. So. And we'll be looking to, we've highlighted them and now we'll be looking to kind of put our own stamp on the game. Yeah, it seems a huge amount of Connacht fans are, are travelling up as well. So it'd be a great reward for them if you can if you can try to go one step further and, and set up a semi-final against Glasgow. Yeah, a lot of them are actually in South Africa as well. It was yeah. uh, the two-week trip. So to be fair, they've been great for following us um, all over the place. And I think the way the ticket allocation, I think it's we end up getting a quarter. So there'll definitely be a, a good few there. So it'll be great to hopefully get a win and have and all the bosses come back together. Brilliant. Jack Cardi, thanks a million. Cheers, man. Thanks. Cheers. Yep, he's back in form, the lad, and uh, a good yapper as well. Um, Munster and Benetton, it's a tasty enough, tasty enough fixture on paper, Murray, when you consider just some of the rugby that Benetton have been playing and the fact that the last time the teams met, actually, over in Italy, it was an absolutely cracking encounter. Uh, there was a lot on the line for Benetton that day, they didn't quite get the job done and Munster were actually shy of a lot of their frontline players. Can we read anything into that fixture or is it kind of, as Andy mentioned there, for example, a, nearly a clean slate when you're going into a, a match against the same opposition that you played quite recently and didn't come out on the right side of that fixture? Yeah, I think Munster will have taken a, a plenty of that forward, particularly the way they underperformed in the first half. They were trailing in the game it looked like it was going to be a pretty miserable night for them. But at halftime, they remedied a lot of things. You, you saw JJ Hanron come out from the break and be a far more square to the line, challenging the, the first defender and playing those short balls either inside or outside. You also saw him kicking behind Ioannia and Taviara, the two wingers who are sensational going forward, but possibly not as intuitive in reading an opposition out half and, and dropping early enough. He found grass in behind them on a number of occasions uh, that proved really important for Munster getting into those 22 positions that they thrive off and, and, and invariably pay uh, pay off, get pay off with, with tries. So I think they'll take plenty of that forward from that game. That was a real low point in the season for Benetton. Um, they've been remarkably consistent with one of the most impressive things 
is the way they've backed up performances. And even during the Six Nations when they lost a raft of Italy internationals, a whole team full really, um, they showed their depth and again that consistency. They, they kept winning and they drew away to Ulster in that period as well. That's what's put them in the playoffs really, not the last couple of weeks. It was getting through that um, testing period which other clubs really struggle with. They did really well in that, in that time. They've also been able to change how they've played you know, you look at them, I, I've watched all their games this season and you kind of, it's hard to pick out one or two major key strengths that have shown in every game because they've played in different ways. At times they're spreading the ball to Taviaro and, and Ioanni who are the top offloaders in the comp um, and playing with that wit and kind of reckless abandon. Other times they've been really direct and retaining possession. You think of that Leinster game where they drew in the 81st minute with a try on 29th phase. They also scored on 25th phase in that game. And they showed that they could stick with Leinster in those long passages we mentioned earlier on. Um, as well as that, they've had a good driving mall at other times, scrummaging. They've had Duvanaka, the nine from South Africa. He's been a brilliant addition. He's kind of kicked really well from the base of the, the, the rock, which he, is a particular strength of his. So they've got a real variety of ways to play the game. Um, and that's why I think they'll actually have a, a good, good chance actually against Munster this weekend. You would expect that Munster, with their, their full-strength team this time around, will have too much for them. But I definitely think Benetton being here isn't just some sort of magic fairy tale story. It is that, but it's also fully warranted. And, and for me, they're one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, do you give them a chance, Andy, in Thomas Park? Yeah, I kind of sense a bit of danger for Munster. On, I suppose for Munster to get into the knockout stages of at this level is barely par for them um, in terms of... Their, their home fans, their expectation, the general Munster public and their the weight of uh, success, you know, that lies on their shoulders. They, they've, um, so they're just that par. They're probably disappointing exit from Europe, potentially Carberry, borderline fitness, bank holiday weekend, loads of people not going to the game in Limerick versus Treviso who are at the pinnacle of their achievements today and would be so up for that game going to, you know, one of the most renowned homes of rugby in Europe um, in a knockout competition, knockout stage of the competition for the first time. I can only imagine how physically and mentally psyched up they are for that. And just why I'm sure while Munster will be aware of all the things I've just said, it's still, you can see you know, kind of a physical ambush, 25, 30 minutes in, slightly quieter, disenchanted crowd. What do you do? You know, you're 55 minutes left or they're slightly behind. Suddenly you're fighting against a team who are like a bunch of rabid dogs against you. Horrible situation to be in if you're a Munster player. So, yeah, I, I give them slightly more than just a chance. I think they have a fighting chance. And uh, I do think Munster on, you know, Munster at full... Throttle should be able to handle it. If they're below full throttle, I don't think they can coast through it. Interesting. A um, couple of questions here uh, regarding Munster, and some of the there's some of the aspects that we touched upon after that loss to Saris, but uh, one from Sean Butler five 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 on Instagram, who simply asks, "Monsters attacking coach woes?" Question mark. Quite a broad question, but one th- uh, it's something we will uh, get into, and then. Stan9823, in hindsight, was it a mistake giving Van Gran a new contract? Monster are potentially looking at new attack coaches. That was in- interesting during the week. I think Van Gran 
pretty much admitted that they will be looking to get a new attack coach in. He yeah. hinted at it anyway. Well, he finally, yeah. Uh, I was at the press conference, asked him any update on Flannery and Felix Jones. He kind of seemed to confirm that they'll be staying on. He said, that's the priority, get those guys sorted. And then asked, where are you looking for a coach? His first answer was like, oh, it's not the right time to talk about it. Then he kind of wandered into saying, after World Cups, the game tends to favour attacking rugby. Whatever law changes, referees, they realise we need to have a more attacking game. So he said, maybe that's a hint as to where I'm thinking. So yeah, he basically confirmed an that's attack coach. And the word is they're looking for a senior attack coach. Okay. So they've, I think, been making early kind of moves for that. No real names what so far. Say, by senior, uh, like a guy with a lot of experience yes. at a high, at international level? or That would be, be the idea, okay. yeah. Um, Felix Jones is the backline and attack coach at the moment. Obviously, they the way they work on the pitch is Van Graan's philosophy to to a large extent, and I think Felix Jones will be an important part of the staff moving forward. But I think they just want a bit more experience, a bit more maybe even guidance in the area of attack. Because as we've mentioned on this podcast before, it's probably the case that even Van Graan himself, a young coach, really young coach, is still finding his feet and really nailing down his philosophy we've we've talked about it plenty enough we don't need to go back into it but someone senior think of someone like Wayne Smith for example mm. coming in with v- vast amount of experience vast amount of understanding of different ways of playing the game not coming in to say here's let's play one three three one this is the shape here's my playbook take these moves mm. but maybe just overseeing the the development of Van Grans even his thought process and and, and just bringing it into a more defined um and implementable game plan or game plans. So I think that's the sense of what's going to go on there. I think it will be a really positive move. Mm. It is a really young coaching staff. Yeah. And Grant, JP Ferreira, who I interviewed there on Monday, um, he's in his mid-30s, really young. He started out as an analyst with Van Grant, doesn't have vast experience, but he's done really well with the Lions before in Super Rugby. Flannery obviously is young, but he's the old man in the coaching staff. And Felix Jones would probably be playing, but for injury still. So I think uh, uh, that senior figure would be really helpful, particularly with relevant and current experience in the game. So, yeah, Wayne Smith, someone like that would be a dream come true for them, I think. Mm. But that's the idea anyway. Yeah. You, I fully, fully agree. I just think you have to change the, to put an imprint, proper imprint onto a team's attacking style. It, it takes such conviction. And what happens if, I think, in, in when you maybe you don't have senior, for want of a better word, senior experience, it's very hard to put an attacking imprint on a team that almost nearly at times would have to usurp the head coach's vision. You have to say no, because what happens is you tend to revert to the norm and you you end up in the middle ground and running through the playbook and just doing what everyone does and and being non, just not being a special attacking side which is exactly where Munster are at and we've, we've visited that, to, to have the conviction. You need, I think you need a level of gravitas in the game and experience to say, no, we are sticking by this, whether it's worked or not to date, in order to get better and be a good attacking side. Most teams who try and be a good attacking side usually deteriorate in the first six months of trying it. But if they persevere, they become a good attacking side. But that's where teams fall down. That that six month period, nobody perseveres with it, and they go back. They revert to type and play this this dull, shape based prescriptive rugby, um, and therefore 
rejoin the the pack as opposed to leading the pack. So I do think a Wayne Smith type appointment is is indicated and be welcome and would show good leadership. Leo Cullen brought in Lancaster. Yeah, great. And most people most people in the world would say, Jesus, why did he do that? Does he want to keep his job? Leo's probably got a job for life as a result because if Lancaster ever moves on, they'll turn to Leo and go, who do we get next? Mm. You know, And Leo will be the consistent thread just by showing some balls and, and courage about taking on people who are better than him and more experienced in the coaching world. He's still the head coach. I don't think there's ever a power or an ego thing going on between the two of them because he lets Lancaster do a lot. And I think Munster could do um, something very, very yeah. similar to, to great effect. That was the most selfless move in Irish rugby, wasn't it? Mm. And at the start, I was, con- I was, I had convinced myself, oh, this is Leinster imposing coach on Leo Cullen. Mm. And then when you find out that he was the one who went out and made that phone call, it was just so impressive. Yeah. Such an impressive act of leadership and selflessness to go, okay, this is more important than me. And that's the challenge for Van Grant. <clears throat> it seems like he has opened himself up to that, though. Because at the moment, it's his ship. We do it my way. You know, I'm making all these decisions, but... It's tough when you're a young coach, especially trying to prove mm. yourself to go, okay, I'll bring in someone who may end up getting more of the credit as Lancaster probably to mm. a good extent has, um, but opening yourself up to that. Really interesting you mentioned there, kind of usurping the coach. Not that I'm suggesting that that's what Chris Farrell did, but he came out with really strong um, opinion on Munster's attack this week. He was up at the press conference on Monday and he was asked about the attack and he was very forthright in saying, we really need to kick on. We really need to improve. He said he's intimated that he wasn't feeling that Munster were getting the best out of him in terms of his distribution, in terms of even using him as a decoy with his power and playing out the back of him about forwards and backs actually linking up together. That it's not just, as you mentioned, Mm. a bit of shape with the backs detached out the back, Mm. that it's a a full team, everyone on the same page and and in the same mindset attacking-wise. It was really good stuff. There was excellent senior (coughs) player leadership from him as well to say it um, and express his feeling on the record, I guess, as well. And I think it's positive for Munster fans to know as well that there's that acknowledgement that we are going to get better. That's the the, the feeling from the inside. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting to see him say that. And I think all the signs are that Munster are going to address that and address it the right way. Yeah. So to answer Stan's question as to whether or not it was a mistake to give Van Gran a new contract, harsh question from Stan. I think it was absolutely the right move. And... <laughs> We probably don't need to go back over it, but Munster have had zero coaching stability really in the last few years for a number of reasons, unfortunately. And stability in your backroom is absolutely essential, I think, to to being successful in rugby. Like, look at Saracens. Van Grand mentioned himself after that defeat. Look where they are in their journey, where they started. Mark McCall's been there for such a long period. Um, and I think it's really good for Munster to have Van Grand in charge and open to, to getting better in different ways. Yeah, uh, before we get your predictions for the two quarterfinals involving Irish provinces this weekend just to go back on uh, or to give some of the thoughts of listeners on the idea of an interprovincial championship being built into the Pro 14 uh, Paul Tierney on Facebook said don't see it making much of a difference not to be disrespectful but teams like Leinster are going to look further ahead and at the bigger picture Europe means as much and is officiated a lot at a lot uh, higher standard and there's uh, Bobbert <laughs> Paris great name Possibly Bobair. Uh, he says, a bit of interprovincial spice is great during the season, and I'd love to see a bit of silverware for the winner of the Interpros. And then Connor Leeson on Twitter, uh, yes, you need rugby content and rugby sells. Sorry, yes, you need content and rugby sells, but you'd be better off addressing the big issue looming over all of this. 
that for the IRFU, the national team is the only show in town. At Das Neil P. Ferd. Uh, look at what Ulster and Leicester served up last weekend with second string teams and nothing to play for. I don't think much additional motivation is required. That's an interesting point as well, I suppose. Um, looking at the uh, two quarterfinals then, lads, uh, we'll start with Ulster and Connacht uh, to get your predictions and how you see the game playing out. Um, Murray, yourself first, you're leaning towards Connacht, I get the sense? Yeah, leaning towards Connacht. I think it'll be a fantastic fixture um, with the set piece being really decisive in a game where both teams do open up as well, but Connacht just to nick it, I think. Andy? I sure I'll go with Ulster. Yeah. Ah, sure you might as well. I think... Um, bit inter-podcast inter- rivalry. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um, I think re- they probably really do, as time goes on, um, feel the hurt of that Leinster performance more and more. They were they were really exceptional in that game and they should have won it. So now a knockout chance in the same season at home. Um, I, I think... I think it'll be a, like sometimes we. I certainly knocked the Pro 14. I think this has uh, scope to be one of the best games of the season. Just the two, the playing styles of the two teams, and there's something really, really big at stake. But I do think Ulster, on the back of the heartache of the Aviva performance, to to pull on, push on through rather. Munster and Benetton, starting with yourself, and the uh, Benetton have more than a chance. They have a fighting chance. Yes. Will they win the game? Uh, maybe. Maybe okay. by one point or two. And yeah, I, I think yeah, I think Munster will That's a crazy thing to say, really, yeah, but uh, that is just that a is hunch. Big. Just yeah. a hunch. <laughs> uh, I think Munster will go through to that semi final against Leinster, which will be a pretty good one. Um will be Connacht and Glasgow in the other game as well, and then either way it's gonna be an excellent final in, in Celtic Park. It's gonna be absolutely superb, so yeah, I think Munster will have enough, though. You know, when we we go on and on about their attack being somewhere in the grey middle ground, that's my concern, is that Treviso being so physically up for this game and spoiling and suddenly Munster being in a in a middle ground in attack and being choked and, um, yeah, just can see an upset. If we were to look tentatively forward to a Leinster Munster semi-final very briefly because I know if it does happen we'll talk about it in, obviously in a lot more detail but from this standpoint or from this juncture which way would you see that going it's close it's probably a closer fixture on paper than it was in the last couple of years yep. people have been asking have Munster actually made progress and Van Grand has <laughs> gone on about the fact that we, they actually have I suppose that's where you can kind of measure it a little bit yeah it's also the week after what is probably going to be Leinster's toughest game Ever, I'd nearly argue, in the final against Saracens, against a really great Saracens team. So that'll be massively um, tolling on them physically, and you would imagine there'll be a number of changes. Obviously, Leinster's depth is great, but I actually think Le- uh, Munster could win that if they get through. Yeah, how would you say is the uh, Leinster Benetton going, Andy? Oh, well, uh, I'm only joking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, ironically, like you're saying, like a complete halfway now. If if uh, thinking Benetton could win, which I think could happen, but are, were Munster to win and go through, I think they have a better chance than ever to beat Leinster in that semis. Just circumstantial stuff yeah. for this weekend. Styles make fights. Yeah, and I think uh, smaller crowd and all that bank holiday weekend. Very aroused Italians. <laughs> you know all all the above oh, Limer- Limer- Limerick yeah. will be a picture yeah yeah. 
cheers lads uh, much appreciated and thanks, thanks a million man. to you guys at home as well for all of your thoughts on the 42 sponsored interprovincial championship that will be <laughs> <laughs> introduced to the Pro 14 from next season and thanks a million for your questions as well enjoy the rugby over the weekend Andy you can enjoy it I think for the first time in a while Pro 14 I mean yeah, I'm genuinely looking forward to it. I'm Excellent. happy happy to say that. Our single hater on Twitter will be delighted to hear it. Uh, <laughs> do join us next week when Murray and Andy will dip into the AIL final. Uh, coverage begins on RTE at quarter to three on Sunday. Should be a cracker between Corcon and Clontarf. Uh, but until then, take it easy.